Hey, this is Zach Guilford, and you're listening to the Friday Night Lights podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Friday Night Lights podcast. Again, I'm Blake, and we have Russ and Law with us. Hey, what's going on? Hey, what's up? And uh, today we are actually going to be able to have the an interview with Zach Guilford, who plays Matt Saracen, who has been one of the beloved characters for, for many, many seasons here. And um, actually, this past episode may not be quite as high up on on a lot of people's lists because of some of the ways that he's, he's treated uh, the situation of his own life but with Julie specifically but I'm not sure we'll touch base with that a little bit later but um, before we jump into our episode review let's listen to the interview that we had with Zach Guilford earlier this week alright everybody now we're here with Zach Guilford who plays probably one of the most beloved characters of Friday Night Lights Matt Saracen how are you doing <laughs> Zach? Good man, how you? How about yourself? Doing great, doing great. Um, again, thank you for being able to uh, to be a part. And um, one of the one of the main questions I wanted to see is: Were you familiar with the story of Friday Night Lights, either the book or the movie, before you actually read for the for the TV show? Yeah, I'd uh, I'd both read the book and seen the movie. Um, so and I was a big fan of it. Uh, I thought the book was. Re- I mean, I thought it was a great movie. You know, it's a great sports story, and the way Pete Berg did it and everything. You know, it's just a really good sports movie. And then, um, you know, the book is totally different. It's really kind of the socio-economical, mm-hmm. you know, look at this whole world where football is life and everything. And um, a lot of my family has studied sociology and stuff. So I don't know if it's kind of synced in with me. I found it really interesting to, uh, you know, read about it. And I think they put a lot of that into the TV show, some of the socio-economic, uh, I guess, concerns and issues going through the, Dylan. And I've always... Do we know how big Dylan is? Because sometimes it seems really small. Sometimes it seems really big. Um, did they ever give it I think, well, you know, if you go throughout, I mean, Texas, I can only really speak uh, because I've been there the past couple of years, but it's like, you know, the, these towns that are small towns, but at the same time, they have those, you know, they have an Applebee's, they have a Walmart, you know, they have all that stuff, but right. it's not really like a big town. Um, you know, if you're driving anywhere throughout the United States, doesn't matter if you're in Wyoming, Texas, you know, upstate Maine or whatever, you'll, you'll think you're in the middle of nowhere and then you'll, you know, see a Best Buy. Um, right. So it's kind of interesting, you know, how like these huge corporations, you know, it, it makes it hard for all the mom and pop stores because, you know, they, they find little places that have, they probably have some set number of population where they're like, all right, if they have this many people, then we should be there. Right. And they go in and they can sell everything so cheap, they kind of just move everyone else out. I understand because I know they had a six A football team, which you would assume makes it be a pretty big school population based on a pool from. But then, like you said, there's some. They got the Alamo Freeze, which seems to be one of the main hangouts for the first first few right. seasons. When um when you first read for the for the role of Matt Saracen, how much did they tell you about Matt and his story arc? Did you realize where even at the end of season one they would end up carrying you, or is it pretty much a, as a need to know basis? <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely need to know, and not because they were, uh, you know, being secretive, but usually when you do a pilot, all they've written is the pilot, and okay. um, the creators of the show will come up with a couple of ideas for the next few episodes, but, you know, when you're auditioning for the pilot, they really just want to see if you can come up with that character and what you bring to it, so really, um, the only stuff I saw was, um, you know, in the first episode ever, there's this scene with my grandmother, that was one of the audition scenes where I'm going to school at the very beginning of the show, and she's... Mm-hmm. I'm telling her to drink her Gatorade or something. And then um, the the other two scenes were actually scenes from, I think they were from the movie, um, playing in the uh, quarterback character from the movie because in the pilot, I didn't really have, there wasn't much talking for uh, for my character. So they like kind of went to the movie and they're like, well, this character's similar. Let's, uh, 
let's use some of these. Now that you've played Matt for right at four seasons, when did you think when you got a handle on him and you began to own the character himself? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it kind of happened during the pilot because we actually shot it. Most pilots just shoot him on the course of like eight days. Uh-huh. And we took like three or four weeks to shoot it. Um, and the way Pete works is very much, you know, we get to improv a lot and all that. So you kind of like right away need to know what you're doing or else if you're just relying on the lines and you don't know who the kid is that you're portraying, you're going to you get kind of lost. Um, so you need to get a handle on it pretty quick. And luckily I, I seem to, and me and Jesse Clemens hit it off really quick. And he's who, you know, most of my stuff right. was at the, with at the beginning of the show. So we got along really well. So it was fun for the two of us to just goof around on camera. Now it's obvious that, that Sarah has had some of the more emotional scenes in the history of Friday Night Lights. One of the ones that I first remember is, I think it was from season two when Either you've been hung over, the character or drunk or something. The coach comes and gets you and throws you in the in the shower and turns the water on you. And you know he's telling you yeah. to shape up and all. And then you're just like, "Go ahead, you you left me. Carlotta left me. Your daughter, your daughter left me. Everybody leaves me." Um, and then of course this season with uh, the death of, of his dad and all the things that she had to go through there, especially in the funeral home and in the uh, the graveside scene. Where is it that you pulled those emotions from, and how easy or is it hard to do those type of scenes? <laughs> Um, I don't know, it's hard to say if it's easy or hard, but it's really just, I mean, for me, it's always kind of just come from the script and, uh, you know, like you said, like how well, you know, the character and everything, you know, not to say like I get lost in the character and I'm Matt Saracen while we're filming or anything like that, but, you know, if you're just kind of being present in the scene and, and paying attention and, and reacting to what's going on, I mean, for me, at least it kind of all just happens and, you know, I've been so fortunate over the past few years to work with people like Kyle, who's amazing, and Lou Ann, who plays my grandmother. And, um, so all the people we're going to work with, you know, it's kind of like I've always felt like I had to live up to their to their level, um, which I think in a way it makes it easier because if for some reason the people around you aren't as good, it, it, it makes it harder to make yourself better. It makes sense. The the scene there in the funeral home when you looked into the empty casket, or I say it was empty, looked into the casket at your uh, – with Matt looking at his dad, so much of that was done without any dialogue, any interaction, verbally at least. But so much was said on both your faces, your face and the faces of the Riggins brothers and, and then Landry. How did, what was going through your mind at that point? How did you get ready for that right there? Because that was so much, let, no talking at all. I don't even know, to be honest. You know, they came up to me and they asked me if I wanted, like, to have something in the casket. They're like, you know, we can have someone lay in there. We can put something in there, blah, blah. I was like, no, let's just leave it empty. And now again, I, <laughs> to be honest, I have no idea. I kind of was like, well, this thing could go a number of different ways. Uh-huh. Um, luckily it just kind of worked out, you know, our director on that episode, Allison, Liddy Brown, who's directed a number of episodes for us over the past few years. I love, and she was great. And, you know, even everyone, our whole crew on that episode, I mean, they always are, but on that episode, because it was very heavy, you know, they uh, they were just super respectful and, you know, gave me whatever it was I needed. And usually they knew what I needed better than I did. Um, you know, because I like to be kind of just like, oh, no, I'm fine. Like, I'll be joking around as soon as you say action, I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I probably would have tried to do the same thing, but I think the crew on that episode was a little more standoffish with me just to like give me my space. Cause they probably knew that I wouldn't take it even if I needed it. Right. Why is it you think so many people, so many fans like Matt Saracen? What is it about him that draws people to him? Well, I mean, he's kind of, it's funny. Like 
I think the show, one of the great things about it is like most of the characters are kind of the everyman, you know, like, and, um, I think he's almost, <laughs> it's hard to say like the most so, but you know, he's just this kid. He's a good kid. He works hard and he's been dealt kind of a crappy hand, but he plays right. it the best he can, you know, mm-hmm. and he never gets down on himself. He's never, or he's very rarely like, Oh, poor me, whatever. But then again, you know, he's 16, 17 year old. So at times he does, you know, like, you know, like you said, that scene in the shower, um, when you know, kind of like, what the, what is wrong with me? Like, what, why is it that all this shit happens to me? What did I do? Uh-huh. And that's one of the best parts is like, you know, coach, like kind of, you know, coach says it's not some big emotional where he's like, no, you're fine. You're a great kid. He's just like nothing, man. There's nothing wrong with you. He's just, you know, it's kind of that moment where he, where the coach kind of has that realization of, yeah, this kid's going through hard shit, but there's nothing I can really say to him. I can just tell him the truth. There's nothing wrong with him. And you know, this stuff happens. Yeah. It was the same way when he walked you home from the, uh, from the dinner when you got up, you didn't like your vegetables yeah. touching your meat, you know, and a lot of people are expecting coach to, you know, to say something really monumental or inspiring. He's just like, Let, I'll walk you home. And that, that yeah. to me, that's real life more so than some big TV moment, you know, crafted with the emotional dramatic speech there. Now that's one of the things I think people really appreciate about and like about the show is it is real. Yeah, completely. Cause you know, at that time, like there's nothing you can say to someone in that position and, you know, all they need is, you know, someone to be around. They probably don't and, uh, want you, you know, to say anything. Coach realizes that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just hard to be alone. So, you know, I think Coach sees that. And um, it, it's cool, too, because, you know, they've always had that kind of father-son relationship in a way. And, you know, and, and then the son aspect of that relationship, dealing with it, losing his actual father. And, you know, it's always been an interesting relationship that, you know, when we've really explored it, it's been, I've always thought it's been really interesting and cool and at times I've been a, a little bummed that we've gotten away from it, but, uh, you know, it's always there. Now, did you play football yourself growing up in high school? Uh, yeah, I played for a year growing up and I broke my leg and I was quickly done and I was never going to be a big star athlete. Well, I was going to ask how, how real do the scenes feel for you? Do they come naturally or do they feel like they're, or is it just like, okay, action cut, action cut or the, or the football scenes themselves? How real do they feel? Well, they're fun, you know, cause like, a lot of times, usually, we'll 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 film like a series. You know, we'll do like four plays in a row. Um, you know, and obviously they're scripted, and and the ball doesn't, you know, exactly move yard wise like it would in a real game. But you kind of it's fun because part of the reason why we get the football sometimes to look pretty good is because we're actually like, you know, filming it in sequence, and it's not just like, all right, let's get a shot of someone running down the sideline and have them run down the sideline. We have seven cameras running you know, like all the time when we're shooting football. So we run the whole play and we keep running them. And, you know, the different cameras can pick out different things from the quarterback to the running back, the wide receiver, the defensive back, um, or, you know, just the, the kind of scrum that's going on on the offense between offensive and defensive line. And, uh, you know, you just get a lot of shots that are really real looking. Who who do you think from the cast had the best, I guess he's the best football player, or would have had the best opportunity to get a college scholarship? Um, well, Scott Porter always claimed that he was all conference wide receiver in high school. Um, and he, he was a good player. He's a really good football player. Jesse played for a couple of years growing up. He was actually the quarterback and he's got a really good arm. And, yeah. I noticed that in the um, last, last episodes, we keep seeing Vince as a quarterback, but Landry got to throw a pass and I, he had a cannon. Yeah, he does have a cannon. And then, um, Taylor Kitch is, he's a really good athlete, so he's good. And, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm by far not the best, but I, I'm not bad. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of a toss-up depending on what you want the person to do. Is it, is it usually you guys out there actually playing, or do they use doubles a lot, somebody else? And well, we all have doubles, and we use them for everything from safety to time efficiency. And, uh, you know, most of the stuff, aside from, like, some of the huge throws that need to be right on the mark, you know, if it's handing the ball off or it's a short throw or, you know, even just running the, you know, if it's like some sort of sneak or whatever, uh-huh. scramble, like I can do it. Um, and I usually will if like time's allowing. And depending on the episode, sometimes they'll let me get hit. Sometimes they won't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we all learn pretty quickly, like, you know, with like one of those throws, you know, even if I can make it five times out of 10, my double can make it eight or nine times out of 10. Right. And so if I'm insisting to do it, it's just my ego and I'm wasting hundreds of people's time just cause I want to be the one doing it. Mm-hmm. So, and then on the same token, you know, for the whole safety issue, it's cause not to say our football players are expendable in any way. They're, you know, they're priceless. They make the show that whole aspect of it look as good as it does. But you know, like if one of them gets hurt and they can't play for a day or two, you know, technically we can put a helmet on someone else with the same body type and no one's going to know. Right. But if I or Taylor, someone gets hurt, you know, in the scenes that don't have a football helmet on, it's going to be hard to film them. So that's why they're, you know, they're pretty cautious about, uh, not letting us get hit too much and right. stuff because it's not, you know, it's really not even so much that they think we're going to get hurt. It's just, just in case then we're totally screwed. We've seen this year in season four so far is that Matt has, as we said, going through a lot of stuff and didn't go to college, came back to Dylan and then he and Julie with whatever it is or isn't going on between them. He took off with, um, with, uh, Bob Dylan playing in the background. But, uh, now that he's starting to transition out and I know that we don't know if you're going to be back in season five or not for a few cameos, but are you going to miss Friday night lights itself being a, a part of the show, being a part of the cast and crew? Yeah, completely. I mean, you know, even this year it was kind of weird because, you know, pretty much all my stuff was only with Julie or Amy Teagarden. Um, and then I had a lot of stuff with like kind of these external people. It wasn't until my last couple episodes that I got to start interacting with all the people from the show again. And, uh, so it was, it was even a bummer this year kind of, um, and it kind of showed why it was that this character needed to leave. And, you know, it's cause he's not really a part of that community or that world anymore. Um, so there's really nothing keeping him there. And otherwise, you know, sometimes the show felt like you'd like jump to him and it'd be like, whoa, what's going on? This feels like kind of a sideshow. Sure. Yeah, um, especially that little artist thing with, uh, was it Richard? Yeah, Sharp exactly. Yeah. So, you know, like I understand it. It was definitely, it's definitely bittersweet, you know, like I think Matt definitely ran his course. He had a great arc. Um, you know, I loved him. It seemed people loved him. And so that's good. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be a bummer not to be around, but you know, the show needed to evolve. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why we're not, um, like the old school now in two and or whatever, yeah. where people are 30 years old and still in high school. <laughs> well, but at the same time, we, I, we, I thought that Riggins was the same age as street in season one, I guess with Lila and Tyra too. And then they kept coming back and kept coming back. But it seems like you're the only one that's actually stayed in the grade. We thought he was in with, uh, with, within the first season. So, um, everybody's always yeah, trying to no, how old folks are. But now that he has... Yeah, uh, it's kind of funny because we all... I mean, if you look back, it's like, wait, why was Landry driving Saracen to school when Landry was a freshman? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, why was uh, 
I guess it was Tyra as a, I should have been a sophomore, I guess at that time. And she was working at Applebee's and hooking up with the traveling salesman, um, in season right. one too. And I was like, wow, that's seems really awkward. Um, <laughs> now that, uh, that your character start, has transitioned off the show and you're doing more and more movies now. Um, I know you've done dare and postgrad both within the last year and you've got two more coming up. What, what are the big differences you see transitioning from TV to movies as an actor? Uh, I think the only, well, it totally depends on the project, you know, uh, in general, TV tends to work a little bit faster, but at the same time, I've worked on some smaller films where you just have a very finite amount of time and you gotta get a whole movie shot. So you move very fast. Um, our show is actually shot very much like a film. So I think that's fortunate for me because it's kind of prepared me in a way to like be on a film set and get it. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's just every set you're on is different. You can go, you know, I did an episode of Grey's Anatomy right. last year, and uh, it couldn't have been more different than uh, <laughs> than the show I work on, just because it's, I mean, you know, each show has its own individual style. Right. And so, you know, it's nice. I think the great part is, like, I understand how a set works, like the politic of it or the... Uh, you know, what's the way to behave yourself and who to talk to, who's what job, but you know, just the vibe on each set is different. So I think I'm prepared to like walk onto a set and be, be able to get what's going on and just go with it. But I think that's the key is being able to go with it and not expecting it to be like the last job or, you know, not really having any expectations of exactly how it's going to go. Now the characters that you played in both dare and in postgrad, they were markedly different from the character of Matt Saracen. And then I, the uh, you got the River Hwai coming up. You're actually the lead in the River Hwai, aren't you? Yeah. And how, yeah. Uh, is it is it just another job? Is it another way to do it, or do you have to try to make a, a mental shift between between roles? No, I mean it's not like a huge mental shift. It's kind of like I just come to the page, and um, you know the script kind of like gets me ready to do whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing. Um, you know, you always at the beginning you try and come up with like kind of what that character is or whatever, but. Uh-huh. Tell us, you know, if you got to get script, it's going to give you a lot to work with. Tell us a little bit about the River Hwai. Uh Well, it's kind of this coming age story about uh, this kid up in Portland who, you know, he he's kind of been. He grew up in this family where like fishing was like religion, kind of like football uh-huh. is on Friday Night Lights, and um, you know, he's just fed up with his parents, and he finally is like, "All right, forget it, I'm out of here," and he takes off to some cabin in the woods and just thinks he's going to fish all day every day, and that's going to fulfill him, but. You know, he he kind of quickly realizes that that's not all there is to life, and there's you know just so much more going on around him, and he needs a lot more to fulfill himself than just fish that he can't talk to. <laughs> I've heard it's an amazing book. I haven't read it myself, but I've heard it's an amazing book written back what twenty twenty five years ago. But I look forward to that. And then you have answers to nothing coming up as well. Are you in the middle of filming that right now, or is that almost done? No, I've already finished filming it. Um, okay. I filmed that. I had a few weeks off from the show, and I was in L.A. doing that. And that was fun. I got to work with Callie Hawk, who's hilarious. She was in that movie Couples Retreat and, um, I mean, several other things, but that most recently. And then it was a cool cast, you know, um, Julie Benz and uh, Elizabeth Mitchell and Ben Cook. Um, so, you know, it was a really cool cast of people. I was excited to get to work on it. And, you know, it, it's actually kind of a pretty dark story, but, it's one of those stories kind of like Magnolia where there's a bunch of different people going around and everyone's connected to one or two other. Okay. And my, my through line kind of was the lighter romantic comedy one. So it was fun to get to joke around and be goofy. 
do you have do you have any other projects coming up that you'd like to mention? Uh, no, not right now. I just got back to California after the holidays and I'm trying to figure that out right now. Is that home now for you, California? It is. It's a lot different from uh, from Austin, Texas, I'm sure. And then all, and you're from it, Chicago. It, it is a little bit different. Well, um, yeah, know, exactly. It's, it's definitely warmer out here. <laughs> I know that uh, I know that you can't give away any plot details with uh, with Friday Night Lights, but I wanted to get your predictions of how Lost is going to end up. And as this about to start? Oh man, well, I can't wait. I don't know how it's going to end up. I'm like freaking. I can't believe we had to wait like a year for it to come back on. It's uh, it's gotten a lot of people amped up about it. And then, are you watching Twenty Four? I just want to know where the polar bear came from. <laughs> I know the polar bear and the smoke monster. What's up with those? Right, exactly. Well, it's a security mechanism or something. Yeah, but um, how's it controlled? I, it still blows my mind. Yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, yeah, I do watch Twenty Four. I haven't, I haven't started the season yet. I have it all on my TV. I was going to say, I was going to tell you, they're in New York, and CTU New York is a lot, they have a lot more technology than they ever did in LA. Um, and then uh, the guy that played Bubba and Forrest Gump is now the director of, of CTU. So that, that still throws me off. But, um, oh, really? Yeah. It's, uh, but uh, I appreciate your time. And uh, I think that. Yeah, uh, man, it's good talking to you. Looking forward to uh, the, these final three episodes. They've, it seems the last few episodes of, of Friday Night Lights has gotten really dark, but I'm um, hoping that they'll punch in a little bit of sunshine here in the last couple of episodes to make it in a lighter <laughs> note but uh you see we get to see you again this coming episode or at least you're going to be calling in with julie a bit everybody's did you have you have you got any pushback there seems a lot of people kind of uh angry with matt the way he just left <laughs> from julie i don't know if you got uh, any pushback the only thing was i was actually skiing over christmas and i was on a chairlift and i had like a ski hat on and goggles and all this stuff and i was getting off the lift and the lift operator as i was skiing over he goes you should have called julie <laughs> I was like, what? So that was really it. Otherwise, everyone, uh, no one's really ridiculed me too much to my face. Okay. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate your time and uh, for your availability. All right. No problem, man. Thanks for talking to me. And give me a thank Zach for uh, making himself available and being able to be with us. And we look forward to seeing him in his post Friday Night Lights career. I know that we mentioned the two movies he's got coming up, but I'm sure that he'll have some more, um, coming on the pipe pretty soon. But, um, Looking into looking into this last episode, injury list. Um, it was you know last week we talked about things were not going so well for so many people, hoping that things would would reorient themselves to lighter moments. But it seems that things are not not going to be going well at all. Well, things aren't going well for Calvin Brown. Yeah, Calvin Calvin got the bad end of things there. I was expecting like once Dylan finds out they need to have like an Ewok style party when the Death Star blew up and Darth Vader was dead. Uh, Okay. Literally my mind goes to all these weird things sometimes when I'm watching the show and this is the progression of my brain was that whenever something happens I always think of like these highly illogical things and try to narrow it down to something that's semi-logical. So when Luke got hurt and he was out for the season I thought well there's no way they're even going to come close to beating Dylan now. And then I thought, well, maybe Riggins has some sort of eligibility that they're going to – and then I thought, no, wait a minute. No, wait a minute. Calvin Brown is going to come back on the team and play running back. And then Calvin comes running out, and I'm like, well, I don't think he's fast enough to play running back. And then he gets shot, and then I'm like, well, I don't think he's alive enough to play running back. Do we, do we think he's really dead? I assume yes, he is. He, I mean, he uh, took, he took a, quite a few shots. Yeah, this is Steve Brown. I, I, I think I think I'm desensitized. To, like I'm so used to people getting killed off on Lost and The Shield, which are really the only other two shows I watch. 
that I, it didn't really sink in that that's like a big deal. They don't kill off characters on Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Is this our? I, this is our first character death. I mean, I guess we could try to include Saracen's dad in it, but he really wasn't somebody that we ever saw more than one episode. One and you episodes. forget, uh, you saw Tyra Stalker at least twice, and he died. Yeah, very true. <laughs> that's get this. That's one of the things I was thinking about. I wonder if if uh, Jess knows that Landry is a murderer. <laughs> because you know, because you know, Virgil, Vernon, Virgil. Yeah, he uh, is telling her to stay away from Vince and all because of his past and history. But I wonder if Virgil knows that his daughter's dating a, uh, a murderer. That's uh, I, that was in one of the I read a review from one of the newspapers that said like that exact same thing. Like if if it weren't trying to if it weren't so obvious that they're trying to make us totally forget about that and act like it never happened, then then there would be some sort of um, very weird socioeconomic um, inferences in that you know about how like. Landry's a good kid, and his past is behind him. Vince has probably never murdered anybody, but he's like a bad guy. Yeah, I was glad to see he didn't hit that guy with a crowbar. <laughs> you know that, oh, that move. I hate that move. That let me hand Vince the crowbar so he can get in the shot. Move. They do that in every movie. Like they hand the guy the gun. Here, you do it. Show that you're one of us. <laughs> well, here's one. That of the move I is so played about. out. <laughs> Here's one of the things I started wondering about, though, is that, you know, obviously Vince is going to want out now and not to be a part of of that anymore. But weren't the things they've been doing, weren't they like debt collections where they're going to different people's houses and trying to get money back? And Vince now owes them whatever, you know, $4,000 or at least, you know, whatever the balance of that is. So he's going to have to still, there's going to be some pressure still to keep doing what he's been doing. Or is yeah. he going to want revenge? Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, did you see the previews? Yeah, yeah. but I was still kind of shady on what was going on there. But you know, it, was, it looked like it looked like he wants revenge. The guy actually said, "You want revenge?" Oh, did, okay, <laughs> I, I caught, missed that. I did, yeah, what, I didn't see that. What's this guy's name? The the new the new guy. Keenan? What's his name? Something like that. Yeah, I thought it, it with a K. Kenan or Keenan? Something like that. Um, I can look it up because it's uh. It's actually here. But you know you're thinking Yeah, that. well, in the previews for next week, he's like, you want to get payback or whatever? But oh, yeah, think, that's right. He does Vin, say that. Vince is probably sitting there thinking, you know, well, that that would have been me or that could have been me, and I would have been shot. So I would think that he's torn between revenge and wanting out there. But um, it seems like Jess is getting pulled in more and more to him because, you know, they exchange a few glances. And I, oh, one of the things I want to say, and I've noticed this from the first season, but any high school I've ever been – to growing up in high school, I've, I've worked with teenagers here and there and, and known that they've been in, there's never been any public display of affection allowed in the hallways. <laughs> and people make out like serious all the time at Dillon High and East Dillon. Uh, it happened uh, quite often at like some of the county and city high schools in Memphis where I'm from. Really? Mm-hmm. I guess yeah. if I if I told you the things that my basketball players did in the bathroom, then we would have to change the rating on this podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it'd have a red red box tags. around it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Shoot, that happens here in Tupelo, though. <laughs> but is it against school policy, or they just do it anyhow? Oh, it was against school policy, okay. but yeah. But it, yeah, even in public, it wasn't that um, uh, 
it wasn't that big of a, a deal for people like make out in the halls and stuff. Yeah. It's, you, you know what? Speaking of that, you know what's uh, also played out on this show? What's that? Is every single time Landry makes out with Jess, Vince is coming by. <laughs> like, <laughs> what kind of creepster is Vince that he's waiting for her to kiss him every single time? Hey, like, yeah, it's she always cuts her eyes over there at him. Speaking of Landry, we got to see Agent Pierce from 24 back at the dinner table playing uh, playing his dad. Do you think that he, um, when Aaron, uh, Aaron, I just called him Aaron. Do you think when Landry's mom brought up Obama, he was like, he really is the second best black president I've ever known behind <laughs> David Palmer. <laughs> president Palmer. That's what I was thinking. It's like he really, I mean, he's he's better than Wayne, not as good as David. What about President Taylor, who's there now? Are you watching right now, 24? No, I haven't. I haven't seen it since uh, season six, which was so awful. And then people said last year's was pretty good, but I just, uh, Ann and I were in Best Buy and almost bought it, but then we're like, eh, I don't know. You can read it. Yeah. I I was out right after the Chinese guys kidnapped him. I have no idea what happened after that. I never saw another one. But I love love that guy, Agent Pierce. I don't know, Mr. Landry, whatever his name is, Clark. <laughs> he's great in everything. Yeah, he's in, uh, has he been in uh, Transformers? Transformers 1 and 2. Uh, I bet he'll be um, in 3. Uh, I he was also out on Transformers, so I don't know. I don't <laughs> you know. saw Transformers and you loved it too. I hated it and I never saw the second one. Uh, well, the second one, it is uh, not as good robot fighting as the first one. Oh, are you kidding me? They didn't come up with a Godfather 2 type scenario where it's just as good as the first one? I'm shocked. No. It does have a, a huge, enormous robot that has a swinging, like, um, balls, like, literally. Oh, in the movie. Right. It's so stupid. Oh. Well, you, you, that speaking scene, of, though, speaking of like, Greg so, <laughs> <laughs> That scene when they're like, you know, how's Obama doing? I thought that was great. That was so awkward and great. And yeah. it's realistic, yeah. Because, you know, she was asking him at the locker, you know, do your parents know I'm black? And he goes, why would that matter? And so I think they were trying to just be inclusive and with the language there. But uh, it, it, it is believable that those are the kind of conversations people would end up having there or tr- trying to push into that. And I can, I can speak from the fact that, um, I mean, I, we haven't – my wife and I are adopting from Ethiopia – and, like, my family, um, most of my family is pretty cool with it, but they, like, go out of their way to try to tell us how cool they are with it. Yeah. And so, like, even my extended family is like, so, um, she's going to be from Africa, so will, will she be will she be black? And I'm like, <laughs> no yes, way. yes, she will. And they're like, no, that's okay. Like, I'm totally all right with that. I was just wondering. You know, it's like... <laughs> You know what I mean? like, that's great. You know who's a good trumpet player? That Louis Armstrong. He was good. <laughs> uh, yeah. What about uh, what about all the troubles that Luke is going through? Um, I mean, he, he's having to deal with a knowing what happened with Becky, and he was still there to support her and things like that. But then, you know, Becky's mom, you know, Luke's mom, came over to <laughs> Becky's house, and at first, I thought she was kind and, and genuinely, you know, trying to care for and provide some comfort. But then she, you know strikes up the guns headed towards Tammy Taylor and then Luke finds it out but then he's still I just I wonder with all this drug he went to what Carol Park looking for drugs for some some painkillers I wonder how much pain pills 
he's been indu- he's been inducing there, ingesting I should say, uh, that he's been able to hide that injury for so long during practice and games. Well, obviously, a lot. He runs out quickly. Yeah. How, how can he walk around in the locker room and hide a bruise that covers up his whole side like that? Just don't change. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, but I could see somebody just intentionally not taking off their, their shirt and pants and just changing later somewhere. Mm-hmm. I guess. He got hooked on Oxycontin pretty quick, and they gave him Oxycontin. Like, that is a shady doctor. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. He does. He gives him Oxycontin without even, like, looking at his injury or anything. I mean, it's Oxycontin. Well, is it, was it the coach from Sears? Uh, that was able to look at it and immediately deduct that that was a hip flexor and he's out for the season. I mean, he's got some special skills somewhere we don't know about. <laughs> well, he's a man of many traits. So I guess so. I guess so. Um, uh, let me tell you, that's not his first view of the male hips. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say that, but. Um, yeah, the, the, I love the look on Coach's face when he found out. Oh, he was furious. Oh. You mean to tell me? Because, I thought that was pretty great. Because of all the pressure that he's been feeling around town, even beyond that game, mm-hmm. looking towards the the matchup with the Panthers. And now he's saying that his, his best running back, who used to be the Panthers' best running back, is now going to be out. Like you said, Calvin Brown's not going to be coming in for the, for the game either. <laughs> yeah. I guess that any thoughts that we might have had of him joining the team are pretty much – Pretty much gone. Do you think? Do you think Luke's mom was she lying, or did she just hear what she wanted to hear from Becky? Or was she lying when she went and told the school board that Tammy actually, you know, encouraged Becky to have an abortion? Oh yeah. Yeah. What? She was lying, or she was? Just oh yeah, she, she was. Yeah, she was lying. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it had to be. I mean, she probably just assumed that. Like, I can just imagine. Becky being like, well, we talked through all our options. We talked about adoption. We talked about carrying it to term. We talked about abortion. And so I decided to have abortion. You know, like. Yeah. And that's what her mom wanted. But at the same time, I was wanting to get up and, and you know, choke that school board lady. Are you calling well, me a liar? I, got, I would have been like, yes. <laughs> I got two takes on Luke's mom, okay? The first one is that she's my least favorite person to ever pass through Dylan. She completely rubs me the wrong way. I don't know why. She just irks me. I would rather hang out with Joe McCoy than her. Okay. <laughs> the second one, and at first I was like, this crap is unbelievable. This, uh, her going after Tammy instead of going after the mom mm-hmm. or her own son, or the, I mean the mom of Becky, or going after Becky or after Luke or whatever. I was like, no matter how bent like and religious fanatic she is, that's too much of a stretch. But then I started thinking about that dude who protests soldiers' funerals over homosexuals in America. Right. Yeah. You, and I'm like... Publicity. If, if you're enough of a religious fanatic and going to get up in arms or anything, you can blame anybody for anything. Instead yeah. of like protesting politicians or whoever, they protest soldiers' funerals. So if you got right. that bent to you, you, you probably would go after the principal for no reason. Right. Yeah, Fred Phelps is that guy's name. Yeah. His yeah, church Phelps. actually, I, re- I was reading a, reading an article about how they're actually, um, for some reason, they're protesting Twitter. <laughs> like, I have no idea why. Well, it but... sounds gay. <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe so. 
Uh, well, tweet it. Kind of tweet does. Tweet. I said, come on. I was tweeting that guy. That just sounds gay. I'm sure they have a problem with it. Yeah. If this, this woman, hey, I just find loathsome. Yeah. I find this woman completely loathsome for some reason. Really? Okay. You're- who thought when when Luke and his mom got into the semi argument there, and he and she was saying don't walk out, and he goes no I'm gone, and he walks out, and then we we cut to you see Tammy sitting on the couch, and somebody knocks on the door. Did anybody think that was Luke coming over to their house? Yeah, I was thinking, man, they they get another another late night knock, but he ends up going to Carroll Park, and he completely misses seeing Tinker there. Um, but Tinker Tinker knows what's up. He nah. calls him out in the, in the uh, huddle too. You know, we can't run that to the left because he's he's injured. I'd have been mad too. I'd have been like, I came all the way to your house and built a fence for you. And you're not even gonna say, hey. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Why um, do you think that uh, that coach was leaving Tammy at home alone while he was out drinking with with Buddy, and he was willing to stay there, knowing what she's been going through, knowing all that? I, I thought that was. That was odd. That, that caught me off guard. That was out of character for him, it seemed. This seems yeah. to be the most stressful time in the Taylor's like household since we've seen them. I mean, I, I, it might be, but like personally from, I mean, I know that they were dealing with like Julie issues for a little while. And even, even when he was away at TMU, it didn't seem like it was this stressful between them, just between them two, you know, and like right. stuff like that. You know how it is when sometimes – personal issues just creep in and then like it kind of causes a rift you know just because you don't want to talk about it with anybody and and they're both undergoing some very heavy personal issues right now but you'd hope i'm right? not hope. go ahead La. Uh, i'm not married and y'all are so y'all probably can't answer this not to each other but just well yeah it's a free self to start boycotting the podcast um uh, i would assume and I don't know this. I'm not married, like I said, and I'm sure y'all can't talk about it. But if uh, is there not are there not times that people would just be like, I just want to sit here for 15 minutes before I go home, even if there's like no personal problems or conflict are going on. Uh, are there not times people would rather just be like, just you know, every once in a while, I'd be like, I just need 30 more minutes before I can go home for whatever reason. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. Okay. Yeah, but I think the th- the fact that they meant that they intentionally called attention to it was that's what I that's what I thought. Yeah, because I wouldn't have ever thought about it. You know, if I, well, I mean, it, but it they seems never said like anything. The, like they're not fighting or anything. Mm-hmm. But even yeah, I know it's just it, like right after you know it's like um, they don't talk it's right a lot after anyway. Buddy says. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, even when he knew that she was going into this big meeting with the school board and everything, and they waited until supper time for her to say, oh, I got good news today. I mean, if it was my wife, I would be calling her as soon as she stepped out of the, you know, the conference room or whatever. Um, but that's what, you know, there's lots of things that they don't tell each other. And I guess that's, you know, we always talk, trump them as though they have a great relationship. And I think they work through things really easily. It seemed in the past, at least, but it seems at the same time that they don't always, they aren't as open with things. You know, like he waited until it was, you know, later on to say, oh, guess what? I caught Julie in Matt's bed today when they were, you know, at the house alone instead of calling on the cell phone on the way home or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just, and, and plus it seems, I mean, when it comes to that, though, it just seemed like right after he got, Buddy started saying, you know, oh, 
Tammy Taylor is going to be on to me for keeping you out of this light. And he's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. You know, it just seemed like that that was kind of this ominous kind of posting. It was unsettling to me, too. It stood out. It stood. Yeah. It, did, it, did it strike you as odd, too, when Tammy had to go talk, who I assume is the superintendent, and he's telling her the situation with a mom has complained. She said this. She said that. And uh, he ends up saying, you know, that it's, it's become a hot button, button issue. It's turned into a serious situation. And how did it get to be a serious situation so quickly when that's the first she's even heard of it? I thought that was odd. I don't know. Hey, do you think maybe Coach just want – you think it was all football-related? That's why Coach just didn't want to go home? He's got so much pressure on him to be Dylan, and he was just like, oh, just let me sit here for a second. Because he's just been talking to Buddy, and you know him and Buddy were talking about football. Yeah. Uh, and Buddy actually is probably putting some pressure on him. <laughs> I mean, Buddy uh, took the ring off. That was pretty epic. 48 hours. Yeah. Man, he's like a an addict going through withdrawals, I'm sure, right now. <laughs> Where he needs a patch. He's start losing weight and getting having sweats. And, and Yeah, he's going to have to have uh, Lila start uh, – Dealing drugs or whatever to pay for his rehab too on his ring withdrawals. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say, I, switching gears to to Riggins. I don't know what you can make at a chop shop, but if he and Billy made double sixty five thousand dollars, because that's what Tim needed to take to that real estate place. If he needed what is that one hundred thirty thousand dollars, they made that much money that quickly. There's some serious money in chop shop business in Dillon, Texas. No, I don't think he had to make sixty five. I think he just had to make thirty five, right? Well, I thought it was it cost- the deposit. It depends on how much the deposit was. He just made the deposit. Well, I thought he yeah, needed sixty-five de- for the deposit because it cost wouldn't it like one twenty-five or something. No, it was eighty-five oh, total. Okay, because yeah. it's eighty-five, and she said we'll discount it to seventy-five if you pay like thirty or thirty-five okay. up front. Okay, so that makes more sense then. Um, well, still, that's a big still, chunk of change for two months' right. work. Yeah, it's a seventy grand over however long over the period of a football season. Yeah. And Seems you, you don't have to hit anybody with a crowbar. Yeah. And speaking, speaking of Reagan, I would also dig a big hole with a shovel for $30,000. <laughs> speaking of Riggins, there was one one part, one line where he was describing what it was like to own that land. It was the most unriggins like thing I could ever imagine coming out of his mouth. Do you remember how what, what he said? Like, this episode? During the Riggins dinner? One? Yes, this episode when they were at dinner. Mm-hmm. He said, it's surreal. Surreal. Hey, he may have been watching The Surreal Life with Becky some, so that may be. I, I could not imagine Tim Riggins even know what's surreal, man. Well, speaking of watching TV with Becky, I, I just think this episode confirms that nothing good comes from watching Thelma and Louise. <laughs> I love how he asked for a different flick, though. But that he, was funny. But he still watched it. But uh, And then Cheryl came in and, and exploded. Do you think she really believed anything was going on, or do you think she was just rejected, hurts from being turned down? I think she's kind of crazy, if you ask me. Yeah, I yeah. think she's got snakes in her head, man. <laughs> um, I love how um, he just kind of stood and looked at her when she first asked, and he's like, don't think it's a good idea, Bex. <laughs> then, then he's like, all right, but what else you got? That's the, uh, well, first he said, where's your mom? Oh, yeah, he's like, "Where's your mom?" <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not coming in there. She's anywhere around. Um, speaking of a thing that's been played out, that's the second time he's been falsely accused of sc- screwing around with a girl, a high school girl, in the bed. Because remember, he brought Julie home that night and 
Coach Taylor thought he'd, he'd done something with her. And basically the same response. He's like, look, it's not what you think. And he doesn't, that's all he says. I, I would have expected him to be a little more bold in his, his denials, at least. He's done a very good job of controlling his rage. Because the first season, you know, he, he threw that thing at Smash. And the, that was because his buddy just got paralyzed. Probably. I like when he, I like his very rational side. Whenever these women go off on him and are acting crazy and snakeheaded, he doesn't even argue or try to defend himself. He just walks straight <laughs> to his truck and looks right in their face and is just like, all right, he just drives off. <laughs> whatever, whatever. Yeah, but he tends to do that a lot. I like that. But I was kind of surprised with Cheryl when she came on to him that way. And she was like, look, you know, you're you're a good guy. I'm a good girl. You know, if we need a little – it's not just about the sex. Um you know, but he stands up to her, and he told her this, basically kind of the same situation with Becky. He was like, look, this I don't think this is going to work. This isn't a good idea. Um, but she's turned away now both of the uh, the Sproul's ladies. Did you think that he was going to kiss her, or she was going to try to kiss him, and, and Becky tracked him down at the end to tell him, look, you're not a bad person. You 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 know, you know, stood beside me in the most difficult time of my life. Um, I was hoping there wasn't going to be, but I wouldn't have been surprised if there would have been some sort of a kiss that happened there. Oh, I yeah. kind of liked it. It was one of the only positive things in the entire episode. Oh, I liked she it. came back and told him. Yeah, I agree. That was probably one of the few positive moments. And, you know, Becky has been somebody who has gotten a lot of flack um, because she has been uh, an annoying younger character who's been uh, a little, I wouldn't even call whiny in the same way that, Becky, that Julie has been, but um, mm-hmm. pester some in a way. But I think that the last two episodes, especially she as a character and and Madison as a as an actress, has has re- risen to a new level. I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. Did anybody think I about? Uh, I like her in, in her speech or not her speech. But her, when she was saying, she goes, "Look, you drove. You're the only one that came to that pageant <laughs> with me, and it was three hours away. And remember, that's back to also the sun episode when we were thinking, how is it must Tim, be just across the town? Yeah, because that was Tim was going to the wake." because of Henry Saracen. But now we know it's three hours apart. Uh, oh, man, quit applying all this lost uh, scrutiny to the show. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. If it was lost, it'd be, it'd be more believable if it was lost. Or you'd be if like, it's like in 1977. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they they found some sort of teleportation machine. Cause she calls him. I think he's he's like actually wearing the same clothes. Maybe it's just a, a like a two day event or something. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Anything else that uh, that stood out to you guys about this episode? Oh, we didn't talk about Saracen. We didn't talk about Saracen at all. He's got a nice little pad there in Chicago. I bet that's really expensive. That death gratuity probably is helping out a little bit. Yeah, that's true. He's, um, he's still got his hand drawings on the wall. I don't blame him for not calling Julie. No, nah, what can you say? I don't either. That's the whole time I was thinking that, and there's really no. Uh, that's the way it works when people break up and one body, one person leaves town. Well, I understand her frustration, obviously, and her hurt. Yeah. But at the same time, he was going through just a heavy, heavy load of stuff, and he just needed to get out and clear his head. And I, if it were me, I'm thinking that he probably knew he should have called, but knew how uncomfortable and awkward and painful even that conversation is going to be. 
And it's a lot easier to say, oh, I'll call tonight. Oh, well, I'll call in the morning. Oh, well, I'll call this afternoon. And it keep getting pushed back. And I, th- I think that's what happened. So I'm, I'm a defender of, uh, of Matt Saracen here. Even though I, I, do, I do think he should have called earlier. I understand why he didn't. Yeah. Well, and, uh, Julie is accessing her altruistic side. She's all of a sudden want to be a team leader for Habitat for Humanity. This is the most spoiled person who's been on the show since it started. More than Lila? Lila ended up like counseling teens at a Christian radio station. Like, what redeeming has Julie ever done? She was a lifeguard. <laughs> and, and Lila, before she made the tragic error of hooking up with Riggins, stuck by the street after, like, for a long time while he was paralyzed and everything. She had more redeeming uh, moments than Julie. I she thought. stuck by the street even though she was. Oh, okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, I mean, you know. She was loyal for a while until whatever. But then she kissed both Tim and uh, Street in Mexico when they're on that boat. I can't remember that very much. I just remember him awkwardly like rolling himself off the edge of that boat. Yeah. I don't remember the the Mexico storyline is the one I put out of my head the most after the murder from Landry. <laughs> yeah, I did not care for the Mexico experimental drug thing. The shark, whatever. Yes. Well, that. that seems like something that you'd be all, you know, you and your libertarian leadings would be like, <laughs> see, the FDA won't even let this drug come in, so he has to go to Mexico. The federal government's not allowing us to inject shark stuff into people's backs. That's what <laughs> Thomas Jefferson's rolling over in his grave. <laughs> I, thought it was, um, I thought it was kind of a silly storyline. So do you think, yeah. think Julie's going to try to take a year off from school completely to go work for Habitat someplace or another? Sure, why not? I, I, like I don't that put that idea. much thought into Julie. <laughs> I will say she hasn't, you know, she's gotten, you know, a lot of fingers pointed at her saying she's been really whiny lately. I just, I would have been, I think that he probably should have called earlier. Yeah. Um, and I think that he was probably in the wrong and I can understand her being upset. But this is just how I am. Like, even if I'm wrong and somebody blatantly points out that I'm wrong, I have a tendency to, like, be defensive. pull up every horrible thing. I, I just remember her being like, We've been together. You've been such a huge part of my life for four years. I would have been like, really? It's three and a half because you were fooling around with this Swedish dude for about six months. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, it took I would the whole year to get back, really. So I don't even know it's been a full three and a half. Yeah. And she said, yeah. Oh. Because they didn't get to I me mean, for looking timelines and, and Lyle will throw darts at us, but they didn't really, <laughs> they really didn't become a couple until probably the end of season one or the end, at least that football season. And so technically it hadn't even been three years. Plus there's been screw ups in between. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I yeah but you you got to figure a percentage of her life. Three years out of 17 is a lot. Yeah. yeah. Like that's basically her whole adolescent life. It's more than a oh, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that like the, the math works out to where she may, I just, I'm saying that's how I would react because she said, I think she said, I, do you realize how bad I hate you right now? Yeah. And she said, I hate you for leaving me. Yeah. 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 I understand. Like, I don't know. I thought that was, you know, accurate. Yeah. Like yeah. She, I could understand her being pissed off and I think she like handles it. For the first time I'm like, yeah, I probably would handle it like Julie did. Where she, probably. You know, like, I don't want to talk to you right now or whatever. Yeah, I can, I can understand definitely that first one. So, um, oh, one, one more thing about the whole Becky abortion thing and all that stuff. 
Um, how are they going to, I mean, judging from the previews next week where they're all protesting in front of the school and everything, like how does Becky not become the center of this storm to where it like mm-hmm. ruins her whole life? Well, she's at a different like, school. Was, yeah, but the whole town has to know it was her that got mm-hmm. the abortion. If they know anything, you know, if they're protesting and everything, like that would just wreck somebody's whole life. You're 16 years old, you have an abortion, and the whole town turns on you and tries to get people fired and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's Luke's perspective, too, that he's want his mom just to drop it and stay out of it. That militant mom will not. But that's the whole thing. I think it was, if it, it was came out that, uh, it, yeah, If it came out that a school counselor, even if they were from a different school, you know, I try to apply everything to what, how would Tupelo respond. If that exact same situation came out, and whether or not it was true about how there would be lots of people believing that it would be true that a counselor would advise them to have abortion, they'd be calling for some heads. Right. Yeah, well, you live in the town with the headquarters of the American Family Association, so what do you expect? You will apply things too below. That's true. That's true. They would have already got pitchforks and torches and burned out the school. <laughs> uh, yeah. There'd be people running out of town, for sure. Well, I mean, it's... I, don't, I mean, would people not believe her that, I mean, she said, yeah, I told her about adoption and abortion and uh, laid out all her options. Why, I mean, why would they be so soon to jump on her about that? That doesn't seem true to me. Yeah, it makes for good drama on a television show. I guess so. But, it, but it's too much. Like, there is just too much going on. There is too much negative stuff going on right now. Yeah. One of these storylines I would love to drop. Like, I, I would love... The Luke story. I'm not. I, I like them all. I guess, but they're just. There's too much. Makes it very, very negative. Heavy. Yeah, the past two well, episodes have been so heavy. All right, let me ask you this: Do you want East Dillon to beat West Dillon? Then uh, I still think that's unrealistic, especially guess with, Luke, with Luke being out. Yeah, there's no. I mean, of course, it makes you want to end the series on a like in the season on a high note, but like. I would hope they wouldn't do that just to – I mean, it, it's so unbelievable that they would win now. Unless – I mean, I don't know if Luke has some sort of miraculous healing or anything like that. Uh, but You can get a I, bottle of Oxycontin. Well, his his mom might pray him to hell. <laughs> what do you think of his uh, his prayer? <laughs> Dear God, please give me some drugs before Let me Friday. get some drugs. That's – you know, I, I, I just kind of saw it like – I'm sure that if he keeps down this road that he'll become addicted, but I don't even see him being addicted to it right now. I just see him keep trying to take it to, to like keep the pain away long enough for him to finish up the football season. I actually like the prayer because it seemed like honest. Like like the the kid, I mean, what's he care about? He cares about football. (laughs) It's just like, give me something that'll let me play football. I mean, we did find out we were talking earlier about how, we wanted to know how uh, West Dillon was faring. And they said on there, you know, or on the previews for next week, it's like East versus West, uh, one team can knock the other out of the playoffs. Yeah. So yeah. we know they're yeah. good enough to go to the playoffs. And they and uh, Buddy said something about how J.D. McCoy was lighting it up. So yeah. we know that McCoy's having a great year, too. Um, we'll see. I think it'd be unrealistic at this point, though, to see them winning. Yeah, I think it'll be unrealistic, but I bet they win. It's going to happen. Like there, that has to be. That's the only thing that that can really. Um, Landry under center. Yeah. 
Landy's going to be in he that. He might kick a field goal to win. Golden foot. You might think it's going to be old Vince to win. It ends up being a kick. Maybe Jess comes out for to line up at kicker. You know, think, actually, like I mean, there's two more episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the next episode will be that game. and I mean, they could lose and still find a way to wrap it up on a positive note because they have another episode to do it. Yeah, do you think they play next week or do you think they play season finale? I think next week for sure we're going to have a baby being born. Yeah. Because the title is laboring. <laughs> the, the, uh, the episode so title is, is laboring, so I assume that's little Billy Riggins. Billy Jr., I hope they name him some ridiculous redneck name. <laughs> uh, I'm really hoping for that. I can see it. Well, I think uh, that about does it for uh, for this episode. We look forward to uh, to uh, we have a couple more interviews already recorded that we'll release in the upcoming uh, weeks, and maybe some as, as their own, like we did with the Billy Riggins interview. But um, at the same time, we encourage you to, to write in and give some feedback. Um, and also, one of the questions that somebody asked me that I want to ask everybody, what has been your favorite Riggins Brothers moment? And then uh, we'll collect those and be able to put them out. But uh, you two guys be thinking about it as well. But thank you guys. And we had a few technical difficulties. We were able to press through. Uh, finally got it done. And um, I look forward to the next two weeks and hopefully some, uh, some lighter moments where nobody's dying um, or getting yes. arrested or going to jail. Oh, we, did, we didn't even mention that. It looks like that Tim Riggins may be in some the trouble with some laws. we got to figure out what, what things are going to happen there. So, um, thanks, guys. Hope you have a great weekend. Catch us on El Fuego. More good mojo toward the Saints. Who dat? we got two weeks mm-hmm. for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me... I will be pulling against the Saints. I will be pulling for Peyton Manning. I understand. And the Colts. 